0: Hi everyone, welcome back to the Australian Rotary Health podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. I'm Jessica Cooper, and on episode 33, we have two special guests today, Dr. Renetta Slickbore and Christy Gruton. Dr. Renetta Renetta is a research fellow at Swinburne University of Technology, the Centre of Forensic Behavioural Science. Renetta was awarded an Ian Scott PhD scholarship by Australian Rotary Health from 2015 to 2017 for her project called Reward Sensitivity Theory in Trichotillomania. Today with us we also have Christy Bruton who has a lived experience of trichotillomania. So we will be having a very interesting discussion about how this pro- this problem impacts individuals like Christy and how research such as Renetta's can have a positive impact on their life. So thank you uh, to both of you Renetta and Christy for both joining me on our podcast today. This is uh, quite a different format to our usual format but um, yeah, it's really great to have you both, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about your experiences today, Christy, and I'm, I'm sure our listeners will too. Yeah,
1: th- thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah
0: thanks. No worries. Uh, so, Christy, I, I guess you would be the best person to walk us through what trichotillomania is, as you do have that um, personal experience of it. So tell us, what what exactly is it?
1: Um, yeah, so trichotillomania is the um, com- the urge to pull out one's hair. So um, it's compulsive hair pulling in a nutshell, mm-hmm. um, but it's not just your usual, like, um, facial hair. It's like it could be any hair on the body. Um, so and it, the urge has been described as something... something has been described similar to would be, like, a craving, whether it be for us, like, like an easy thing to compare it to is, like, smoking. So, like, when you're trying to quit smoking and how that craving is, or even with food, I guess, like, that's what we feel when it comes to trick. Like, we want to, well, me in particular, like, I want to stop, but it's just... It's not that simple, <laughs> as a lot of people will know when they've tried, like obviously, to quit certain things, and um, so it's just that that never-ending want to pull and like it's itch, I would say, to um, to yeah, to get to the hair or to to release it and stuff. It's it's very odd, but it's um, it's also very common. it's just not widely discussed. So it's something like this has actually been really, really good. So I'd like to thank you, Jessica, for inviting us on. And, of course, Renny and her research is just amazing.
0: (laughs) Well, it's really (laughs) great to have you talk about this as well. I mean, I'm sure not many people have really heard this kind of perspective before. So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, And I guess what kind of impact has this had on your everyday life?
1: Um, for a long time there, I was pulling from my scalp nearly, nearly to the point that actually in two thousand and fifteen, I was combing half my hair over to um, to cover it. Um, so it affects for me. It affected a fair bit of the um, public public life, like sort of that. Like I not wouldn't, wouldn't go out. I don't. I wouldn't socialise, like I just, to be honest, it probably just affects everyone. Uh, it affects everyone differently, but um, yeah, it becomes, uh, like I've, I run the support groups, which I can talk about later if you want. Um, so everyone's experience is a lot, is different, but there are a lot of common factors such as it takes so long to get ready to face the world because of the problems whether it be you've um, like for me for instance I've plucked my eyebrows so I have almost no eyebrows um, so I draw them on um, but some people might have no hair or have like watches and patches that they need to um, cover up and it's just that that added extra stress of getting ready either in the morning to go to work or just even the simple chore of ducking down the shop or something like it can just be a bigger deal to someone who has this uh, has the trick and it is either um they pull on if they pull on the hair of, the, of their face or if they pull on their scalp I should say it can be a bigger deal and when you pull from other places it it can be as short it can be like um for those that pick on their legs like wearing shorts or um a skirt for girls or like swimwear like it's very common I've heard of a lot of people actually don't go swimming or go to the beach or anything with trick because of either because of all the um uh healed scars or something of their legs or um and that sort of thing so it's it can be a big deal for those that suffer with it and it's it's more common than anyone thinks and one thing that comes out of every meeting is that everyone is so stunned by the fact that they're not alone that everyone thinks before they find help or they find the support group or they find arcvic um, then it's they think that they're alone and it just astounds me how much in those meetings people just voice their their
0: appreciativeness of those sort of outlets for them yeah well it's good that they've got that kind of yeah positive outlet to kind of meet with like-minded people and really kind of bond together in that experience I know yeah Yeah, it really sounds like it could be quite distressing for, for many people out there so yeah I mean it sounds like it's a good thing that you're involved in these groups
1: yeah um when I uh, I went to my first meeting probably 2013, 2000, between 2012, 2013. Um, and I remember it took me probably 12 months before, like, I went to my first meeting, like I found out about them and then it took me 12 months to work up the courage to actually go to one. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that in itself is a huge accomplishment for anyone that does yeah. that. Um, Especially, I mean, with the COVID times, obviously it's changed to Zoom calls and stuff. So it's not as, um, I mean, it's daunting, but it's not, you don't have to physically get out of the house or anything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, hopefully um, once this COVID thing is sorted, the face-to-face will start again. Um, but we're also keeping the Zoom meetings just because sometimes people with this condition don't want to, go out of the house or don't want to um be in that close proximity of other people like sometimes it takes a little bit and at least with the online version they can sort of test the waters I guess before making the big step to face to face
0: yeah absolutely well, well thank you again for, for sharing your experience and I, I guess you know how how did you two meet each other
1: um, through Art Vic, actually, Rennie was running a group when I first start um, when I first started going. Okay, yeah,
0: yeah. great. Well, um, I guess you know I'd really like to hear more about um, some of Renetta's research. Um, you know, you, you did a PhD with support from Australian Rotary Health. Um, could you tell us what led you to pursue research into this particular
2: area of mental health? <clears throat> sure. So I was volunteering at ARCVIC as a um, support group facilitator for the trichotillomania group. I really um, was interested in in what I was seeing in the group. But I also had the the decision to make about what honours project I was going to take on. And I decided to do a meta-analysis on treatments for trichotillomania. So whilst I was looking at the literature and the treatments available i was also hearing what the participants in the group were saying and it became incredibly obvious to me that what was in the literature was not matching what i was hearing in the group so that really interested me and i thought that's really wrong so like i was uh, some of these treatments were reporting oh they're 90% effective and you know uh, you know i'm thinking really is that the case because uh, that's not what I'm hearing in the group. Something is really going wrong here. There's a real mismatch. And that's what inspired me to keep working on this and try to untangle what's really going on. And that's why I chose this as a topic for a PhD. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That disconnect between the knowledge, the scientific knowledge in the literature and the reality of people experiencing TRIC, Um I just felt like the, the research community were doing people with trigger disservice. So I wanted to really wanted to get the input of uh, the people with lived experience.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fair enough. Yeah. Working in that area and seeing firsthand what the experiences are that would really kind of give you a, you know, a good idea of what's working and what's not. So yeah, that, that sounds like it would have been really important for your research. Um, so, what what exactly did your PhD project involve? What were you trying to find out or, or test? Or yeah,
2: it was basically a really simple question: Why do people pull their hair? What's motivating them? What what's driving it? What's maintaining it? But I wanted to answer that question from multiple perspectives, <laughs> so not just answering that question in terms of the psychology or uh, in the terms of how uh, people are processing their emotions, but on multiple levels. So I looked at people's emotions, people's cognition, people's behaviours. I used brain imaging techniques. I looked at the um, neuropsychological functions that might contribute to the disorder. Um, so I looked at a whole range of different kind of ways of answering why do people pull their hair, which involved a, a series of studies using multiple methods and multiple techniques to try and get to try and sort of weave together a bit of a story about what's what's driving the behavior.
0: Mm. And so in terms of your findings, so why do people
2: pull their hair? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if if I had a clear answer to that, that would be great and that would be really helpful. But I, I guess has already touched on, on some of the things. Um, she specifically uh, touched on um, a behavioural thing of avoidance, which in my research has come up a lot. Uh, one particular study, which was a factor analysis, showed that there are, five main areas that people with trick tend to engage in avoidance with. So they tend to avoid uh, following sort of non-social goals. They tend to conceal things about themselves that are really important, like, uh, the information that's really about themselves, so not, inf- not things that happen to them but information about themselves. They tend to conceal that a lot. So when I mean, you think of that a little bit like keeping secrets to yourself, about yourself, um, they tend to behave, uh, tend to engage in behavioural social avoidance and Christy expanded on that beautifully earlier where she was talking about not wanting to leave your home because of fear of embarrassment or, you know, fear of uh, sort of going to a coffee shop with friends because maybe you've had a, a bad session the night before and pulled out uh, a lot of your eyelashes and you don't want your friends to notice, That's that sort of thing. So a lot of that sort of behavioural social avoidance. Mm-hmm. There's also a tendency for individuals to avoid relationship problems. So noticing that there are problems in the relationship, but kind of avoiding having to deal with them. Um, So that that sort of relates a little bit to the self-concealment when you start thinking more generally about intimacy. And there's also a tendency for people with trick to avoid thinking about the future. And that sort of ties into the anxiety and sort of depression that sort of often comes along with, Uh, those who experience TRIC Um, so that was one study there are two other studies that I think were really important we had had really important results but not so much for uh, one because of the scientific content but another because of the awareness it would raise and how much it will help people with TRIC so the qualitative study that I did I interviewed uh, 20 people with trick and really in-depth interviews. I spoke with them for about two hours about their experience and they shared a lot of really sensitive and often embarrassing stories with me that I was able to pull together and sort of weave together these stories in 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 a paper that can now be read by psychologists and other people interested in this disorder so they can better understand and empathise with people like Christy who have um, have been battling this for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So for that reason, that is perhaps one of the studies I'm most proud of. But the final study I'd like to mention, sorry for taking so long, but it's just one more study I'd like to mention, which is a, a longitudinal study. And the reason I want to mention this study is because it shows How's how, how that disconnect, and it sort of, in a way, describes what brought me into this area of research in the first place. Remember, I was talking about the, the you know, it's got a ninety percent success rates versus what I was hearing in the support groups. Mm-hmm. Well, this study showed that simply. Attending a, a three-day retreat, a, like an intensive retreat where you're talking about trick with other people with trick and you've got facilitators. That intervention gives individuals the same reduction in symptoms as one-on-one long-term treatment. Mm, wow. So yeah. that that is something that um, service providers need to think about. Uh, people who are experiencing TRIC may like to view such a thing or such a, 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 a so it's not a treatment, but it's its like a sharing, it's like a community that you build a, around yourself as something to add to the treatments that you're already involved with mm. because people with TRIC have often talked about so the isolation and loneliness involved in the disorder And an an intensive three-day retreat addresses that directly. Yeah. So is that something that that you
0: might have been involved in, Christy, in one of these three-day retreats?
1: Yeah, I actually attended one in, I wouldn't actually know the year, but it was pretty much, I think it was a year or two after I started going to a support group. Um, And, yeah, it was it was like an amazing three days. We went, we're actually in Hillsville, I think, Hillsville Sanctuary. And it was like relaxed in a way, um, not just like therapy and stuff. It actually wasn't therapy at all. I mean, it probably could be counted as it, but um, we just um, did like little activities such as like, we did craft activities at night. We did some meditation, singing bowl meditations. We did like a photography session like where we would um we were encouraged to bring our own cameras and stuff so we'd go around the nature reserve and take some photos and um then we would put a slideshow on about our five most proud photos that were that we like and just little things like everyday activities but doing it with people that actually understand and can relate to what you're feeling like that's what I found for me as someone who suffers with it. That's what I found most about that trip was that it was just you were surrounded by people that knew exactly what you're going through, yeah. and the te- the detail in which we can talk in regards to trick like with other tricksters is like it's it's so funny like we constantly mention it. Um, it's just so funny the de- the de- amount of detail we can actually use like. Um, because we can understand it, <laughs> yeah. so um, I guess yeah, like Rennie said, it was just about it's about that connection with other people because you do feel so isolated with something mm-hmm. like like this that isn't very widely talked about. Um, yeah, just exactly.
0: finally having the
1: outlet to express and and talk freely
0: about is just amazing. Mm-hmm. So I guess that might be one example of how Renetta's research has positively impacted, you know, the the lives of real people who are experiencing trichotillomania. Would you say that? Oh, definitely, yes. Um, Brenny's research has um,
1: really opened eyes and I think that's the main thing that we need as a group is because it is so under... um, it's so it's swept under the rug a lot because it is such a weird uh, odd thing I was going to say weird then but no it's uh, I'm allowed to say weird about myself (laughs) it's an odd and unusual uh, disorder that is yeah sometimes for some people can be extremely embarrassing Mm -hmm. and yeah so when people like Rennie do the research that she does and um, it, that creates the attention of prof- um, health professionals and stuff to actually expand their knowledge because a common another common um, issue is that we as sufferers are teaching our doctors because they haven't got a clue yeah. <laughs> what it what it is or how how badly or how um, how it affects everyone's day to day life. But most of the time, all uh, like uh, the people that come to the meeting and stuff just say, "Yeah, I'm teaching my doctor," like literally. Mm. Um, so when Rennie does scud- studies like this, it just helps reach the field that we need to re- yeah. to reach it.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's really good to have you here today to really show that that real impact that research things to to have on you know, the lives of real people, I think that's that's something that our Rotarians would really love to see. They're, they're the ones who sort of raise the money um, for our research and they put a lot of hard work into that. So really, yeah, seeing seeing the impact that comes from their hard-earned dollars and, and fundraising, that's that's really great. And, yeah, I really do appreciate you sharing everything with us today. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. No worries. <laughs> and so... I, I guess as well, um, Renetta, where, where has this initial research taken you in your career today? Like what, what have you been doing now?
2: I've kind of gone sideways. Um, so it's, it's going to seem a bit strange. So I've actually got a lot of data left over from my PhD that I can continue to analyse and, and publish. There's probably another six studies, six studies that can be published from the data that I've got. And I spent a large portion of the COVID lockdown, in fact, teaching myself how to do MRI analysis and uh, coding in Bash uh, in, a, in a Linux system so that I could actually analyse the data that I collected. Hmm. Unfortunately, you can't eat research or pay rent with research unless somebody's funding you to actually finish the research sometimes it doesn't get finished. And that's unfortunately what has happened with a lot of this data. Mm. Um, so because I needed to pay rent, I had to take on another job. And this job I was able to get, I think in, in large part because of the experience that I developed through the PhD. And that's things like how to, how to design a study, what statistics to use, what are the practicalities around budgeting uh, for the research So now I'm working on online child sexual exploitation uh, research, um, which is a completely different topic, but it's also something I'm quite passionate about and and something that's very important in society. Mm. But I think uh, having the Inscott scholarship gave me the ability to actually learn those skills, develop those abstract um, models in my mind, where I can sort of slot in various um, problems and variables so so that I'm able to pivot and apply these abstract um, structures to to different problems. And so I I would say the biggest thing that I have, biggest long-term thing that I have got out of getting that scholarship was the ability to continue working in research, even though it's a different topic, without that support it would not it would not happen and I imagine that's the case for a lot of people because there's only so much funding that can you know can go around so I appreciate the opportunity very much
0: yeah well yeah there's certainly many areas of mental health out there that that can be explored so I think it is good kind of giving these early career researchers their you know little kick start to their research career and then you know seeing where that takes them so know even if it's not in the same area where they started you know there's so much potential i think as well so yeah that's that's yeah it's good to hear that yeah you're still in the research field you know looking at a different area and yeah finding new passions so yeah that's good um i guess as well um maybe um could, could you maybe just explain like why it might be so important to sort of C- continues continuing supporting research? I mean, you said before that, you know, funding is hard to get. Um, why is it important to, to have funding, you know, for researchers like yourself?
2: When you think about, I, I have a beef with this idea, this, this word that we say rare disorders or rare medical problems or rare things. So I don't think that that word really encapsulates the scope of what we're talking about here. So when we apply that word rare to trichotillomania, what we're talking about is a lot of people. So when you think of a a very conservative estimate of how sort of a percentage wise of people with trich, we're talking about one percent within a population of twenty-five million in Australia. We're talking about over six million people. Uh, So when you say rare, six million people is still a lot—a lot of people—and that's that's basically the population of Geelong, just to make it really concrete. Okay. So that's why it's important to keep funding research. Even though a disorder may be called rare, you're still talking about 6 million people.
0: Mm. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that really puts things in perspective, you know, because I, I don't think maybe maybe not a lot of people have heard of trichotillomania. So, you know, it is, it is good to you know, do research into, you know, you know, you don't like to say rare, but, you know, rarer sort of disorders like that. (laughs) But, you know, yeah, obviously, it's still, it is still impacting a lot of people. And so it is still important, even if it is, you know, not as, I don't know, yeah, not as heard about or talked about. So I, I, I really appreciate both of you coming on the podcast today to, to talk about this and hopefully, um, yeah, more people can learn about what trichotillomania is and the kind of impacts that it has on people. So, yeah, thank you so much again. My pleasure, Jessica. Yeah, no worries. Yeah. I, the more word we can get out about it, it's
1: great because it does affect, yeah, a lot of people. And, yeah, having the support of like people who are familiar with what you're feeling is just, I think, one of the keys that people can um, use to unlock the recovery if
0: if that's what they're seeking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, yeah, thank you so much again.
1: No worries. <laughs> My
2: pleasure. <laughs>
0: That was the 33rd episode of our podcast called The Research Behind Lift the Lid. It is always so inspiring to hear what researchers in Australia are doing to make a difference to mental health and how they are helping us on our mission to lift the lid on mental illness. If you can, please support important mental health research like Renette's by donating on the Australian Rotary Health website. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next time.